welcome to World Changes, a podcast exploring the trends making an enduring mark on our world of work and how business leaders, HR teams and internal communicators can stay one step ahead. Diversity and inclusion historically was the trendy talking point of HR teams. They had been tasked with the building and promoting of inclusive workplaces to set everyone up for success. But what if the positioning of these teams has been too nice? What if to bring about real organisational change, it's time to employ the proverbial stick and take a harder stance on calling out and identifying unacceptable behaviours? This is the theme of Russ Norton's World Changes topic. It's time for the stick, supercharging your DNI efforts. Later in this episode, I chat with Russ to find out why it might be time to say goodbye to Mr. Nice DNI. But first, we had a few questions for our colleagues and comms friends. Our understanding of what's right and wrong is changing all the time, and we're learning together how to be more inclusive to more people. Despite having instant access to the collective knowledge of the world at our fingertips, it can be difficult to find a trustworthy guide to help us decide what's right and wrong. Journalists, charities, bloggers, TikTokers, consultants, influencers, teams, policies, handbooks and codes of conduct all offer their own suggestions. We asked our team, when you're looking for reliable and up-to-date guidance on inclusive behaviour, what's your go-to source? Hello there, my name is Connor Faulkner, I'm a senior writer and editor. On the topic of where I get reliable and up-to-date guidance on inclusive behaviour, this is where I do have to put my hands up. I like to think I'm a little bit of an ally and, you know, although admittedly there is a lot more I could be doing, um, I, like to, I like to think I'm relatively on trend. But then when I reflected on this question, I kind of realised that I essentially get my guidance and steer from the form of public discourse on social media, seeing who's being piled on and shamed for what, and not doing that. What a healthy way to get your, get your best practice advice. I like the, the angle that a colleague had on this, in which they essentially said, well, in all fairness, if something gets called out that quickly with millions of people uh, weighing in and acquiescing with, with, with that sentiment, it's a pretty solid list of, of what not to do or that you're going to get. So yeah, that's where I get my advice from. My name's Johnny, and I rely on our in-house HR department for guidance on best practice for inclusivity. Hello, my name is Joe Keeney, and I am a project delivery manager at Scala Abbott. I think for reliable and up-to-date information on inclusive behaviour, my go-to sources would first and foremost be internally here at Scala Abbott. I spend time reading and digesting documents and posts that are shared in our internal diversity and inclusion Teams channel. There's lots of relevant information that's shared in there from sort of do's and don'ts to much wider context pieces that really help me and my understanding. I think externally, I would often use sources such as LinkedIn that offer a live and evolving feed of information, ensuring that sort of the info that I'm reading and taking in is relevant to today. To also ensure that I get a live picture, I refer to a wide range of podcasts that are out there. These provide me with further depth and knowledge to really help my understanding. Hi, my name's Natalie and I'm the finance assistant at Scarlet Abbott. My go-to a reliable source would be most likely LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I'm finding a lot of useful information coming through these days. I think it is something that's being used a lot more and connecting with people. And so that would be my go-to. Hi, my name's George Walker and I'm executive assistant at Scarlet Abbott. And my go-to when looking for reliable and up-to-date guidance on inclusive behaviour would have to be the employee handbook. It is a hefty 55-page read, but it has everything you could possibly need in terms of policies and procedures. 
Head of Client Experience, Russ Norton, is a staunch champion of diversity and inclusion. And as the author of this month's World Changer, he certainly isn't afraid to put his foot down when it comes to calling out inequality. But should we all be taking a harder stance? I spoke with Russ to get his thoughts. Russ, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. Now, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, what is the difference between the carrot and the stick? And where does each of those need to show up? So for any of our listeners for whom English is not their first language, let's bust some corporate (laughs) jargon first. Carrot and stick (laughs) basically means it comes from when you are encouraging a donkey along a path, are you going to hit it with a stick or are you going to tempt it with a carrot? So apologies to anyone for whom that was absolute gobbledygook, because we don't particularly work with donkeys these days, fortunately. But the story, the message that we're trying to get across here is about for internal comms teams trying to push a more diverse and inclusive culture, we often focus on inviting more people in, encouraging the right behaviours, celebrating each other and lifting each other up. And that's absolutely the right thing to do. However, there is also a space for saying what is absolutely not okay and for punishing when people do cross those lines. I think there has to be this combination of both Um, celebrating and encouraging the positive, that's the carrot, but also really making clear what is not okay and um, making sure that there are repercussions when things do become not okay, and that's the stick. And I think what that looks like in in practice is organisations really stepping up and not just saying, oh, we're a lovely, inclusive place to be, come join our lovely family culture, going, we do not tolerate racism, xenophobia, homophobia. We do not tolerate discrimination or bullying of any any kind. And anyone that crosses our red line will not be welcome here and will be quickly uh, out the door. I think you need both. But what I'm not seeing is a lot of organisations being bold enough to take that zero tolerance approach to poor behaviour. No, I completely agree. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the world of diversity and inclusion is full of grey area, such as we know there is not enough progress being made to get more black members on board, for example. And the only person in the organisation who's really going to change that is actually the CEO. And yeah, it's not enough of a business priority right now for so many companies, but that's not stick worthy. The stuff that you've described as as the real kind of absolute no-nos much as you might think that you would love more black people to get on to boards and more representation, all that sort of thing, whatever it might be, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about hard red lines that we as businesses need to call out and make sure that people aren't crossing. And it might sound an obvious question, but why is that so, so important to business performance? So I think organisations have to spell out what they believe is right and wrong, because within the proverbial boundaries of any organisation, they dictate the culture, they dictate the rules of engagement. And regardless of what's happening in the outside world, within those four walls, those four, you know, virtual walls of an organisation, any business wants to protect its people and make sure that those people can do their best work without fear of bullying, without fear of discrimination. And it's all too easy for an organisation to say, hey, we want everyone to just be really kind and really friendly and look out for each other. 
Now, that's fine, but different people have different understandings of what kind and friendly and welcoming and inclusive mean. And even the most right-on or woke people will still not have 100% knowledge of all aspects of diversity and inclusion. Nobody does. We are all on this learning journey together. And that's why I think it's so important for organisations to set out that code of conduct, that minimum expectations of their employees, precisely because everyone has this different understanding. The other challenge, of course, is that out there in the outside world, things are getting very divided, very divisive, very heated. Mm. We're, we're hearing all of these, you know, things are getting really bad for trans people in America right now. Homophobic attacks are on the rise. There's all kinds of nastiness. There's, there's a real um, antagonism towards refugees and, and migrants at the moment in the UK. And all of that bubbles up to sort of this assumption that it's okay again to sort of punch down on people. And it, it just creates this pervasive culture that it's okay to not be very pleasant. Mm. But I think it's absolutely imperative that organisations say, while you're working for us, this is okay. And that absolutely is not. Mm. And I think when you're existing as a colleague and employee in a business... You and I both know how absolutely exhausting it is to hide aspects of yourself. And so ultimately, if people are working in a bit of a culture of fear where they feel like I can't actually share this authentic part of myself, ultimately the business's performance is going to go down as well. So there are real organisational benefits for this, not just, frankly, social justice and humanitarian benefits, right? 100%. And I saw a lovely metaphor that said, imagine if every aspect of your identity was a brick and you were carrying a backpack and the things that make you in a minority compared to the surroundings you find yourselves in, that changes from a brick to a, to a breeze block, right? And so the more things that make you different, the more things that put you in a minority position you're carrying more and more breeze blocks in your rucksack and, mm. and that's dragging you down and slowing you down. And actually the work of great diversity and inclusion teams and great internal comms teams and great HR teams takes those bricks and those breeze blocks right out of those backpacks and just allows employees to crack on with the task at hand and give their all to their job in front of them. Oh, that's such a lovely metaphor. Now, what you're um, suggesting is quite hard line. I suppose, what are the risks associated with in introducing a code of conduct on inclusivity? The risks are that even a hard and fast rule is still open to interpretation. And as, particularly in the space of diversity and inclusion, our cultural understanding of what's okay and what's not okay is evolving all the time. And so as soon as you set that hard and fast rule about what's okay and what's not okay, you either have to be incredibly detailed about what language is and isn't okay or what behaviour isn't isn't okay, or you need to be constantly re revisiting that and revising that. Mm. So that can, you know, become a bit of an industry, but you would argue that it's worth it. The other risk, of course, is consistency and how that is policed, how that's monitored, what happens when those lines are crossed. And the real risk is having that hard line and saying that you take a zero tolerance approach and then an incident happening and then the organisation being seen not to act, that then becomes hypocritical. That becomes, it's just lip service. It's another post drop on the wall about what isn't, isn't okay. So there are some risks associated with introducing this slightly harder line approach. 
That's a really interesting one, isn't it? It's almost like when the organization doesn't apply its own policy, all you've got is the mirror of your own people reflecting that right back at you. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, let's be honest here as well. The generation alpha that's coming through are so much more switched on to what's okay, what's normal these days. It is the senior leaders up at the very top who have been in industry for a lot longer but haven't had that exposure to tremendous amounts of difference and diversity, those folks are still learning. They're still at the start of their journey of of discovery and, and awareness of diversity and inclusion. Now, if those folks are the ones that are more likely to cross that red line, but they're super senior folks in the organization that are, you know, are tremendously influential and, you know, perhaps well-loved by investors, then how does a HR team navigate Crikey, well, that very senior leader has crossed a line that we said isn't okay, but actually we're not, we don't know if we have the authority to to hold them to account. That is a really tricky place for any organisation to be in. So let's talk about the benefits anyway. Mm. What are the benefits of putting an inclusivity code of conduct? So I think any code of conduct gives people confidence that there are some things that are just not okay. And typically codes of conduct cover things like share trading and data privacy and conflicts of interest. And they really spell out, this is not okay. This is not permitted. And here's what to do if if you find yourself in that gray area. And the whole purpose of that is when people are making decisions, when people are observing their colleagues, how do they know when something is okay and when it's not okay? That's really powerful in an organization because then those people are empowered to call out poor behavior and escalate and report it if they don't feel comfortable with it. So you apply that same logic to diversity and inclusion. If a colleague can really see in black and white what isn't isn't okay, well, then they are even more empowered to speak up when those lines are crossed or to challenge in the moment. And that has to be a good thing. I saw a brilliant one the other day. It's open source. Uh, the Doc Martens one, I don't know if you've seen mm. it. It's just the language is really punchy and it's, it's very, very clear, actually. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was a brilliant example of what you're talking about. Mm. Cool. Well, Russ, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. If anyone's got any questions, I know that they'll just reach out to you on LinkedIn as per. But um, great to catch up with you on a brilliant topic. Thank you very much. The important thing with DNI work is to keep learning, growing, and moving forward. We asked some fantastic voices in the DNI space. What is the one DNI focus you like organisations to prioritise in the next 12 months? Here's what we heard. My name is Audrey, Audrey Pantelis, and I'm the Director of Elevation Coaching and Consulting. I am a diversity, equity and inclusion trainer, facilitator, and I am also a leadership coach as well. I work primarily with school leaders, but I also work with organisations who want to further their diversity, equity and inclusion journey which in turn impacts culture. So I think what I'm looking at and thinking about quite a lot is the idea of two things really that I'm I'm thinking about. The first one is how we measure outcomes. And that has come from, I suppose, the fact that probably for the last two to three years, we've been engaged in a lot of activity and that activity has been good and positive and really helpful. But now is the time to, rather than just keep talking about the activity, actually measure it and see where the impact is. 
And maybe the ways in which we measure that um, needs to be contextualised and made meaningful. And that whole idea of that cycle of being able to plough back into the system to be able to recognise where the, the gaps are and then to do something about the gaps rather than just doing the same things over and over. Something that I'm finding now, as I say, two to three years in since we started this work, since the death of George Floyd, when quite a number of organisations have wanted to become better, that's been really helpful to kind of get that done or now is the time for it to get done so that's been helpful that's the first thing I would say I think the second thing that maybe we can be thinking about would be the idea that we we stop allowing the concept of just saying oh we have to be uncomfortable and actually enable people to feel comfortable so by that I simply mean when we know that we're going to have a difficult conversation helping people have the tools so that they can have those difficult conversations that stops them feeling uncomfortable. Now, that's not to say we're trying to get rid of comfort, but rather than just saying you're going to be uncomfortable, it's almost like saying I'm going to wear wet clothes and I'm never going to give you dry ones. That's a bit mean. There's nothing to say that you can't be uncomfortable. There's nothing to say that at all. But equally, we need to be able to ensure that people will still want to put those same clothes on or put different clothes on and feel comfortable and also feel purposeful. Grace Bolton, I'm a management consultant within EY UK's business consulting service line. I also co-lead EY's neurodiversity community, which is UK-led but globally open across the whole of EY. And then more personally, I have a form of dyslexia diagnosis and probably identify with some ADHD traits as well. So definitely, I think differently. In terms of businesses, I think Everyone is going to be on a different maturity or level of maturity. But I would say that actually there's one part of creating a more neuro-inclusive workplace by identifying and removing barriers. Because actually when we look at those and find the pain points, not only will employees be more productive, but they'll also actually be happier. So there's a competitive advantage in many angles. But then I'd also say once you've removed barriers to effectively speed your workforce up, then the next part is to really recognize the power of thinking differently and leverage it to build truly high performing specialist teams that can then in turn solve more complex problems. And of course, then lastly, to support it with a great community. If you can create space for people to tell their own stories and actually connect with and learn from others, then that's really valuable. Whether you are neurodiverse yourself, you might be a parent, a colleague, a counsellor, a manager, a strategy influencer. Everyone wears different hats. You might wear one or many of those. But if you can connect with people like you and learn from them, then actually we'll really push this agenda forwards. Rory Campbell, founder at New Vantage Consulting, is without doubt one of the voices I respect most in the DEI conversation. With 20 years in communications and leadership roles in organisations like Lloyd's Banking Group, John Lewis and Partners and the boutique international consultancy The Loop, Rory has an extensive and broad professional background. Beyond his executive experience, Rory is a visiting fellow of Nottingham Business School, a founding member of two Engage for Success task and action groups and an EMCC accredited coach. Now at New Vantage, he coaches leaders, advises boards and helps clients plan and deliver transformative change. These last few years have been interesting to both be a part of and to stand back and observe. 
we've seen what was a peripheral voice take centre stage and now recede from the centre whilst remaining more core than the fringes. I think we continue to see the polarising of D&I, most commonly characterised as the woke versus anti-woke axis. We've seen governments, institutions, businesses seek to assert and demonstrate their inclusive practices or to deride the movement as the populist over-liberalisation of society, whilst at the same time continuing to see quite how ingrained and systemic bias, exclusion, monocultured thinking, how present that is. And of course, all this has been against a troubled backdrop. Global health crisis, climate emergency, geopolitical instability, war, economic stress, rising inequality. It is easy and understandable for us to feel that, at worst, we're all aboard a sinking ship, and at best, we're staying afloat only by bailing water from a now permeable vessel. I reject that. I accept that the matter is deeply rooted and will likely take beyond my lifetime to create the scale of change that I'd like to see. However, there can be no beginning without a start and no progress without focused, committed effort and no cohesion without bringing together opposing views in a dialogue that embraces all perspectives, not one that creates inclusion by excluding the uncomfortable. It's become a mantra of mine to create inclusion through purpose. I've seen great DNI plans and strategies come and go, yet I remain disappointingly unsurprised when senior executives continue to answer the question, why is your organisation focused on DNI, with little more than because we have to, to attract talent, because it's one of our ESG priorities. I don't demean those motives, it's just that they typically prove to lack a self-sustaining motivation. Yet when we bind our DNI to something meaningful, enduring, and at the heart of our businesses, that's where we find revelation, and that's where we find real, sustainable, enduring progress. We can find that we have a lens through which to focus our actions to priorities that our organisational purpose demands. And we find that we have a framework within which to engage in dialogue, challenging and productive, with stakeholders internally and externally the boundaries and aspiration of our purpose. So I think the priority is for organisations to ensure they are clear on their purpose, to align that purpose through their strategy and to align their thoughts, their plans, their own actions on DNI to that purpose. It's not tactical work, it's deep work, but that will be the foundation for DNI for years to come. If you want to explore this topic a little more, do join us later in the month for our webinar where you can put your questions to our expert panel We'll share the details in the show notes and on our social channels. Want to continue the conversation in the meantime? Do come and chat to us over on Twitter at Scarlett Abbott or drop us an email at hello at scarlettabbott.co.uk and we'll see you next time for another dive into World Changers 2023. World Changers is a podcast by employee engagement consultancy Scarlett Abbott, hosted by L. Bradley Cox. Find out more at scarlettabbott.co.uk.